Well, good morning. I'm thankful for this opportunity to share God's word with you here today. And it's a special privilege and joy for me to be preaching to this congregation, to you who have become dear to me in such a relatively short time. And I'm mindful of the responsibility, the responsibility I bear before God and to each of you to preach his word faithfully and carefully. My prayer is that he will use this time, that he will use this time in this message I speak to help strengthen and encourage and challenge each of us in our faith. And I know that he can and will accomplish his goodwill and purpose in each of our lives through this time. If you find any measure of encouragement here this morning, please thank him and not me. And of course, any mistakes or omissions are all my own. Enough. In our experiences, we know that that word enough can carry with it many layers of meaning. Sometimes it's enough to stand on its own without further explanation or context needed. It can be an exasperated declaration, enough, I've had enough, I cannot take any more, I've reached the end of my tolerance or attention span or perseverance or patience. Not another word, please. I've said or felt or experienced all of it, or at least I have all that I perceive I needed. Other times it comes with a question mark at the end, doesn't it? Enough? There's a measure of doubt, of wondering, of, of speculating perhaps, of taking stock of something and querying whether there's sufficient quantity or quality. Is there enough? Did I do enough? Am I enough? Am I strong enough? Smart enough? Faithful enough? Do I have enough? Will it run out? Worrying, perhaps. Worrying whether I might need more. And where am I going to find it? And how am I going to get it? Enough? Maybe just a little bit more, please. Still other times, that word enough reflects a state of satisfied contentment or reassured confidence. Enough. Not too much. Not too little. Just right. Exactly what I needed. Nothing more. Nothing less. What does it mean for us to perceive enough? Maybe this morning you're thinking you've heard enough already. Maybe you're thinking that you've sat through enough sermons over the years that you really probably won't get too much out of yet another one, especially from a passage as well known as Psalm 23. Some of you are wondering whether this message will be short enough. And perhaps maybe there's a few of you who wonder if it'll be long enough or practical enough or theological enough or faithful enough. Or maybe instead this morning, you're looking ahead to the week before you. You're anticipating the struggles, the temptations. You're burdened with cares and concerns. Maybe you're suffering through some trials already today. And you're thinking you don't have enough spiritual food to get you through. 
Maybe you're hoping this sermon will provide enough. I considered choosing a less familiar passage than Psalm 23 to share with you this morning, but the phrase from verse 6 just kept returning to the forefront of my mind. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I know that phrase by heart. I memorized it as a child. I've sung it countless times. I've long known it to be true in my own life experiences. And yet I found I needed to be reminded of it once again. And when I was reminded of it, my heart just grew and, and was moved to worship God afresh. My affection for him deepened. I fell in love with my God all over again. So today, we'll be studying a passage that is likely familiar to most, if not all of you. Psalm 23 is up there among the most popular passages in our Bible. We love its poetic imagery, we have bookmarks and plaques. We've got throw blankets and candles, all sorts of things in our homes that are emblazoned with its comforting words. We may know all the words by memory. Beginning in the 20th century, Psalm 23 became a popular reading at funerals. Hollywood has picked up on it, and so you've probably heard it recited in movie and TV funerals too. It seems one of those safe passages of scripture that even unbelievers may find pleasant and not too offensive. These are deceptively simple words, words that may help us navigate the complexity and the challenge of our lives and the times in which we live them. My hope and prayer is that your experience hearing God's familiar words again will be similar to mine, that you will look at the truths spoken to us here afresh and find God's provision to be enough that God will use this psalm to stir your soul to worship him, that your love for him will overflow today, that you will leave here in a not too long while, having been drawn nearer to our God, and that you'll take that affection and let it spill over into tomorrow and the next day and all through the week until we gather here again next Sunday, Lord willing. You know, the longer I walk through this life as a Christian, the more I've come to realize the importance and the essential thing that is perseverance. It's not about learning something surprising or new about God every single day, although we certainly could fill up a lifetime doing just that and more. Rather, it's often about abiding, abiding in the reminders of what we've already come to know and believe. Because it's so easy for us to forget, isn't it? It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness and the messiness of our day-to-day, -day, that we grow indifferent or we grow oblivious to God's presence and provision in our lives. We don't pause to take notice of his goodness and mercy. So let's try to do that now. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. For those using the Bibles in the pew, you can find our passage on page 458. 458. It's also printed in your bulletins. Let's listen to the words of our God, recorded so many years ago by David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We'll focus today especially on verse 6, and for those taking notes, we'll briefly consider five points about God's provision for us. First, we'll see God's certain provision, God's certain provision. When David writes that Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. To whose goodness and mercy is he referring? Well, we need look no further than the preceding verses in this psalm to figure out the answer. In verses 1 through 3, David identifies himself as belonging to the Lord God, adopting the metaphor of himself as a sheep under the care of the Lord. The Lord is his shepherd. He is under God's care. In verse 1, David states, he shall not want as a consequence, as a direct result of the Lord being his shepherd. He essentially is saying he will never be in need or want of anything because God provides all that he truly needs. In verses 4 and 5, he shifts. David shifts to addressing the Lord his shepherd. He addresses him personally. I will fear no evil for you, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There can be no other conclusion. David is addressing God as the one whose presence is so reassuring that he will not fear evil. Only God's rod and staff, the tools of the shepherd, provide comfort to David. God is the one who hosts a banquet to share his abundance with David while protecting him from any concern arising from the near presence of David's enemies. David's identity as belonging to the Lord, his shepherd, is the basis for his declaration that surely the Lord's goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So let's think about David's use of the word surely. When David says surely, is he really meaning hopefully? In other words, hopefully God's goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life? As in, maybe if all works out well in this life, that will happen. As in, he'd strongly prefer that to the alternative. No. I don't believe that's consistent with how David has written about his God throughout this psalm. There's a certainty, there's a confidence in his statements. The Lord is my shepherd, not might be. I shall not want, not probably won't or likely won't want or need anything. I shall not want. I will fear no evil, even an evil that might appear when walking through a valley in the shadow of death itself. Now, when David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, he means certainly, without a doubt with all confidence because 
He knows who his God is. He knows who his shepherd is. And that God is all-powerful. That God is ever-present. That God is all-knowing. His certainty is based not on the believability of the promise that goodness and mercy shall follow him every day of his life. That's quite extraordinary. Rather, David's certainty is based on who makes that promise to him. Who can and does exercise that degree of care over him. Who watches so relentlessly and attentively over the moments of his days. He can write surely because it's God who's delivering the provision to him. If it were anyone else, anyone of lesser competence, anyone of lesser faithfulness or reliability, anyone less trustworthy, anyone else who inevitably will falter, fail, or disappoint, well, then David could not use that word surely. But because it's about God, and because David has confidence in his relationship with God, he is certain. So what about you? Do you consider the Lord to be your shepherd? Could you have written down the words to this psalm and believe them all? Do you identify with David's relationship to God? Is this your experience? Are you sure of God's daily provision in your life? Are you certain? Perhaps you're here today and you do not consider yourself to be a Christian. You think this assertion of God's certain provision still applies to you? After all, we're all God's children, right? And how could a truly loving, benevolent God offer up anything less than goodness and mercy daily to us all? Well, if that is you, you're not a Christian, you don't believe in this God that we're talking about, then let me for a moment speak clearly and directly to you. Pay attention to this section of my sermon because it's the most important of all for you. First, we're really glad you're here. There's no place we would rather have you be than sharing this time with us this morning, and we're thankful that you chose to spend a few hours here. Welcome. We also want to share our love with you, and we want to share our love of God with you, and we want to share a bit of God's love for us and for you. There's much goodness and mercy of God reflected in the people around, around us today, gathered here in this place. But you also surely know that evil is all too real. You need only pull up the latest headlines to see it and read about it from far and near. You can read those awful stories, and it seems so pervasive so brutal, so hopeless, so broken, and so senseless, so incomprehensible. If you're honest with yourself, well, maybe you can even catch a few glimpses of bad in yourself from time to time. Maybe in your past, maybe even in your present. None of us are only good and kind and loving and gracious all the time. No one is perfect. Here is the good news of Christianity. Here is the gospel you hear us talk about all the time, the core of our faith. 
We believe what the Bible says, and we find it to be true through our own life experiences. God created each of us, but each of us has individually chosen to rebel against God and to do evil of one degree or another. We call this sin, and it's all very offensive to a perfect and holy God. God would be right to punish us for all eternity because of it. But God, in his great kindness, in his mercy, in his love, in his compassion, he chose to offer us a way to live the perfect. Uh, he offered us a way to be forgiven for our sins. He sent his only son, Jesus, to earth as a man to live the perfect, sinless life we never could. He died innocently on a gruesome cross in our place. His death, completely undeserved, was the only acceptable sacrifice to overcome the penalty we all should get because of our sin. It was definitively enough. After he died, Jesus rose to new life. And having conquered sin and death for all time and for all those people who would place their faith and trust in him, he calls out to you. For all those who would ask for, for God's forgiveness and seek to turn away from those bad thoughts and words and deeds. To those who believe, God extends his complete forgiveness and promises us eternal life in his presence for this life and beyond the grave. But for those who reject his forgiveness in Jesus Christ, God promises eternal judgment and separation from him in hell. Sharing that message with you who do not believe in God of hope and good news for those who believe in Jesus is the most loving, most important thing I'll say to you today. You must decide for yourself what to do about Jesus. I can't decide for you. So let's return to our psalm. If you do not claim God as your shepherd, you're wandering off on your own, or you're following some other shepherd. And I assure you, that other shepherd, or your own abilities to care for and protect yourself, they're far less capable, far less invincible, far less caring, far less comforting than the shepherd that we know as our God. You are in peril, in great and imminent danger apart from God. If you do not accept God as your God, well, if you do not accept his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, why would you expect him to surely provide you with daily goodness and mercy? You may experience God's goodness in your daily life for a time, whether you recognize it or not, but you're not promised it. You also experience God's mercy every day that you are given breath, because God is patient with you in giving you time to turn from your sins, believe in Jesus, and be saved from eternal judgment. But again, you're not promised his mercy indefinitely. Your life could be taken from you at any time. Believe in Jesus while you're still able to do so. For those of you who know God as your shepherd, who follow the one who sacrificed his very self for the sake of his people, the sheep under his care, for you, you can and should be sure of God's provision in your daily life. David says this will surely occur. He states with confidence, the Lord's goodness and mercy shall follow me. Again, he doesn't say may or might. There's no equivocation, no room for caveats or asterisks or fine print, no doubt or wondering. 
Like David, you know the Lord God is faithful. He's faithful to keep every one of his promises, and you know that he watches out for every one of us, even when we start to wander. Be certain of God's provision. Praise and thank him for saving you and for being your shepherd. So that brings us to our second point as we consider God's provision of goodness. God's provision of goodness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What does goodness look like when provided by God? Does it mean everything is just good and pleasant and positive all the time? That those who believe in God and are under his care never experience sadness and heartache, pain and suffering? No. None of us who have lived even a few days of this life as a Christian have seen our troubles and our concerns completely go away. They're still there. God's goodness was to be provided in David's life, not just when laying down in verdant green pastures beside refreshing still waters. No. His goodness was also to be present in those times when David walked through the valley of the shadow of death when circumstances and contexts were darkest, when hope seemed most elusive, most difficult to find, when mere survival seemed all he could anticipate. Our lives aren't suddenly perfectly happy as soon as we believe, and they don't ever get that way eventually before we die. Rather, we see God's provision of goodness in our lives interspersed with all those not-so-good and terrible experiences. God's goodness can manifest itself in many different ways. His goodness is most perfectly and fundamentally displayed for us and to us through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Never before nor since has God's goodness been more abundantly exercised and evidenced than when he intentionally took on flesh to become a man, to live and to die for us who believe in him to eviscerate once and for all all the bad that we've wrought by our sins with his costly sacrifice of unblemished goodness. What could be more good than that? We also see and may appreciate God's goodness reflected in the beauty and wonder of his creation. Consider the vastness of the universe he's spoken into existence, countless stars and galaxies we can be silenced by a radiant sunset or the interplay of light and shadow across a vast canyon. From the skies filled with towering clouds that proclaim the work of his hands to the deep oceans. From awe-inspiring snow-capped mountains to roaring waterfalls to dense forests and to seemingly barren deserts teeming with life. God has surrounded us with goodness to point us to his creativity and to stir us to worship him as the good creator he is. He's the creator of lush green meadows and refreshing cool streams. And he has created us to recognize and experience such beauty. When we pause for reflection in the presence of his goodness, we can perceive and know that he is God. We can marvel at the complexity of life in all its forms, at the way he's ordained myriad diverse creatures to inhabit this earth. All the animals and birds and fish are living testimonies to his goodness. And we humans, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. 
Give thanks to God for your senses, for his goodness in creating us to see and hear and smell and taste and touch. We inhale and exhale as our lungs work with the oxygen that he placed in our air. Our hearts pump blood coursing through our veins and our arteries. Our joints and limbs twist and turn. Our bodies are nourished with vitamins and nutrients extracted from food and beverage. Our brains learn and comprehend. We take so much of this for granted. And yet it is all truly amazing and God's good handiwork. Give thanks to him for your ability to experience emotions and to think and to create. For your ability to do so many different things. To understand, to feel, to love, to believe. Regardless of whatever hardship you might be experiencing in the momentary day, God has been good to you in the basics, which are not that basic at all when we really stop to think about them, are they? God's goodness is also evident in the way he leads us and guides us. The paths of righteousness that he has laid before us are truly good paths, ways that will keep us safe from the self-inflicted pain and peril that we would suffer in our wandering off to sin. He knows better what is truly good for our lives than we ourselves could discern or choose. We often think we know what would be good, but God actually knows. Our optimal spiritual thriving comes when we follow God's leading. The fruits of his spirit working in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these are deeply good for us and for those around us. And God's goodness is apparent to us as well in the human relationships that he's placed in our lives, in those people whose lives he has chosen to intersect with ours for a time. He's given us companions, people to know and to be known by us, people to share in this journey of life, people to love and people who love us, people to care for and people who care for us. Did you ever pause to consider why God has placed the specific people that he has in your life? Out of the seven plus billion people on the planet at the moment, and all those who've come before, all those who may yet still come, there are specific people he has given you for varying degrees of closer interaction and relationship. It is an act of his goodness to you. Think of your families, imperfect as they may be. Think of your friends, imperfect as they may be. Think of your neighbors, think of your coworkers, imperfect as they may be. Think of these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, in the pews around you, imperfect as we are, who God has brought together to be a church family in this place, in this community, in this time. Are we not an expression of God's goodness in our lives to one another? What have we learned from each other? How have we been an instrument of God's care to one another in our lives? How have we been encouraged and supported and challenged to grow? How have we been stirred from our apathy and complacency? How have we been warned 
by each other to help in our battles against sin? How have we pointed each other to God? Give thanks to God for the goodness he has provided you in these people. I'll speak personally here for a moment. I want to reflect on, on God's goodness to me and my family through you all. You know, when we started attending here at Franconia Baptist last August and into the fall, we were experiencing a challenging season. Unrelated to the pandemic that brought its own challenges, we were spiritually discouraged, we were bruised, we were exhausted and in need of fresh encouragement in our faith. And we found that here with so many of you who have welcomed us, who have spoken God's truth faithfully to us week in and week out, who have prayed with us and who have prayed for us and who have joined with us in worshiping our Lord together. So I thank God for you. You are an expression of his goodness to me. God's goodness is also seen in his provision of all that we truly need. If we're honest, most of us on most days experience an abundance in this life. Far, far more than we truly need to survive. We've been given by God more than enough to enjoy. He is so very good to us. We enjoy the blessing of freedom to gather together in this place and worship him. Many of us inhabit pleasant places, and we find that there's enough financial resources to splurge from time to time. And some things are experiences that we seek simply for good pleasure. He gives us sustenance and nourishment to fuel our bodies, and he grants us rest in the midst of our weariness. And in those times when it seems that necessities are all that we can manage, we find God's good provision there too. However it comes to us and whatever it forms, it remains enough to sustain us. My Christian friend, when have you ever found God's provision to be lacking in your life? Hasn't he always kept his promises to you? We could go on and on, recounting all the ways in which God has delivered his goodness in our lives. Praise and give thanks to the Lord, your shepherd, for taking care of you. He is a truly good shepherd. So now let's turn to consider our third point. God's provision of mercy. God's provision of mercy. What is mercy? It is forgiveness. It is forbearance. It is compassion. It is protection from calamity. It is being spared. It is undeserved. It's overlooking that punishment which we do deserve because of our sins. When mercy is provided to us by God through Christ Jesus, it is complete and unwavering. It is persevering love. Most fundamentally, we Christians experience daily the life-changing, merciful impact of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We follow the one good shepherd who lays down his very life for us. As Jesus proclaims in John 10, some of these words that we heard read earlier in the service, he who enters the sheepfold by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Simply put, we do not experience the wrath of God we deserve for our sins when we follow Jesus, our Savior. God's very character is abounding in mercy. All of the treasures of courage and patience, perseverance, are to be found in Christ Jesus. All of the soul protection that we need is found in him. And God mercifully sanctifies us through the course of our lives following him day by day. We're transformed by the work of his spirit. His work is in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We're transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. The real and lasting change that we experience is an act of God's mercy towards us. It happens over time, but it's still there nonetheless. God's provision of mercy in the life of the Christian continues despite our wandering. Do not suddenly stop sinning when we become Christians. We do not always follow his leading in paths of righteousness. Rather, we still struggle. We struggle to do what we ought to do. Sometimes we struggle to stop doing those things that we shouldn't. It's a battle for us, often daily, and it's a battle against giving in to the temptation to sin that still surrounds us. Sometimes we succeed, plenty of times we do not. And yet, God provides his mercy to us in those wanderings. He comes after the wayward sheep. David knew that sometimes God's mercy can take the form of loving discipline or correction. Yet he could still say that the shepherd's rod and staff were a source of comfort to him. The Lord will not lose from his flock any who are truly his, whose faith and repentance is real, and he uses many means to draw us back to the safety of his arms. Jesus assures us of this. We read in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing, Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Friend, if you find yourself today recognizing that you've strayed from a path of righteousness, that you've strayed away from God's leading, you need only turn. Turn to find his forgiving embrace in Christ. In his mercy, he has followed you. No sin of yours, no matter how grievous or persistent, has taken you so far that he cannot restore you to his flock. His great mercy is far greater, and it's far deeper than we could ever fully conceive. God also demonstrates in our lives a temporal mercy. He spares us from some hardships. As Christians, we shouldn't expect a life without any suffering. His daily mercy does not mean the elimination of pain from our lives. 
but God shows his mercy to us in those difficult circumstances and situations. He helps us by radically altering our perspective, by reshaping our mindset to grant us the endurance, the spiritual strength that we need to get through it and to come out the other side. And God can and does use those trials that we sometimes find so painful and perplexing for our good and to accomplish his purposes and glory through our lives. You, of course, know Romans 8.28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. But it is also certainly true that there are times when God spares us from the ravages of evil so pervasive across our world. We can know with certainty his care to prevent calamity from befalling us apart from his will. His invisible yet all-powerful and mighty hand may shelter us from troubles of which we are blissfully unaware. He may send his heavenly warriors to guard us and to intervene to repel those who would do us harm. We need not know the precise details of God's providence to be confident of his merciful care. One song I like puts it this way. God only knows the times my life was threatened just today. A reckless car ran out of gas before it ran my way. Near misses all around me, accidents unknown, though I never see with human eyes the hands that lead me home. But I know that they're all around me, all day and through the night. When the enemy is closing in, I know sometimes they fight to keep my feet from falling. I'll never turn away. If you're asking what's protecting me, then you're going to hear me say, God has angels watching over me every step I take. Angels watching over me. God's providential mercy abounds daily in the life of the believer. He looks on us who have been given the righteousness of Christ and remembers our sins no more. There's no doubt. We can be sure of it. Our God is a merciful God. He's a merciful shepherd to us. Now for our fourth point of consideration this morning, we get very personal. It's a brief but vital element of this passage. I hope you've noticed it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And thus we examine now God's personal provision. God's personal provision. God's provision of goodness and mercy is particular to the individual believer. David claimed it would follow him all the days of his life. Well, the goodness and mercy God knew David needed and that God provided in his life doesn't look exactly the same as the goodness and mercy that God knows I need and that he provides in my life, which also doesn't look exactly like the goodness and mercy that God knows that you need and that he provides daily in your life. That's why I cannot give you an exhaustive list of how God's goodness manifests itself. It's why I cannot give you a definitive inventory of all God's mercies that are evidenced and demonstrated in the life of every Christian. Yes, we all most certainly need God's goodness and mercy in Christ Jesus. But the why and the particulars of it matter. It's about who each of us is and what we each have done and about the lives we are uniquely living. No two lives are the same. God knows each of us intimately, far better than we know each other and even more than we know ourselves. 
Psalm 139, David wrote, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. God is familiar with every detail of our lives. He knows our every thought, our every motivation. He knows the choices we've made and those we haven't made yet. He knows what cultivates our individual joy, what provokes us to anger. He knows what brings forth tears. He knows our hopes and our longings and our fears. He knows those sins that tempt each of us most. He knows about our triumphs and our heartaches. He knows our despairs and the inner groanings we ourselves cannot translate into prayers for help. He knows when we're thriving and when we're barely just surviving. He knows about our complicated relationships. He knows our breaking points and he knows what it will take for us to heal when we're broken. Sometimes we may share in a common expression of God's goodness and kindness in our individual lives spent together for a moment. We might say, surely God's goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And I hope today each of you finds here in this place something of God's goodness and mercy to you in this time we're spending to pray and sing and listen and speak in fellowship. Surely there is something of God's goodness and mercy to be celebrated when we worship him together, when we praise his name, when we thank him, when we serve him alongside one another, when we unite to proclaim his name within this community. But I want to turn it back to you now as individuals. Today, not yesterday, or last week, or last year, or at some prior point in your life, but today. Examine your life for this day to identify God's provision of goodness and mercy to you. Because it's personal. You can nod along and acknowledge all these truths that I've shared with you throughout this message, but until you take this and apply it to your own life, I wonder if you'll really be overwhelmed by the recognition of God's provision for you. For what wretched sins in your life has he poured out his mercy in Christ? How has he shown his goodness to you? I want you to draw near to him because of what he has done in your life, even what he is doing to provide for you today. Can you identify it? I'm going to address some of you now by name. I want you to respond out loud, but think carefully about the answers to the question I will ask you. Don, what does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Doug, what does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Charles, what does God's 
certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Christina, what does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Jenna Lee, what does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Audrey, what does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today? Marcus, Suzanne, we could go on and on, right? What does God's certain provision of goodness and mercy look like in your life today, this very day? I hope you've all contemplated this question in these minutes. Do your answers not stir you to praise and thank and worship your God? Maybe you had a little trouble coming up with an answer. We don't always recognize God's goodness and mercy in the moment. Sometimes it takes a little distance. It takes a little distance for us to look back and see how he's been working out all things for our good. Maybe it's been such a tough day tough week, or a tough month, or year. Maybe it's been such a tough life that you're having real difficulty seeing past the suffering to discover God's goodness and mercy in spite of it all. If that is you, let me encourage you to pray. Ask for God's help that you may see and feel the experience of his tender care for you. And let me also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend who knows you and your life experience reasonably well. Be open and honest in sharing your struggles and ask for help in identifying evidences of God's goodness and mercy in your life. Now, once you've identified God's goodnesses and mercies in your life, let me encourage you not to keep quiet about them. Speak back to God. Let him know how much you love him how joyful you are to be counted among his sheep, how thankful you are that he chases after you when you stray and never loses you. And talk to others. Encourage your family and friends with testimonies of God's goodness and mercy in your life. As I just called out some individual names, some of you undoubtedly thought about what you know is going on in that person's life. The good, the bad, the complicated. Perhaps you can clearly see God's goodness and mercy in that brother or sister's life today. And maybe you could be a fount of encouragement by sharing what you observe, helping them to see what they may only dimly perceive themselves. Remind them how God's provisions are deeply personal and meet our individual needs. Finally, we consider God's constant, sufficient provision. God's constant, sufficient provision. David wrote, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's provision of goodness and mercy doesn't just show up on the good days of our lives. It doesn't come merely when it's convenient for God to pay attention or when he happens to see our need. No, God's provision is delivered every day in the life of the believer. David, David knew God's goodness and mercy when resting in green pastures, sure, when partaking of still waters, but also when traversing the valley of death. 
he experienced the Lord's provision on a joyful coronation day when he became king of Israel. But he also experienced the Lord's provision through the dark days in which he fled from his own son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him, and on those days in which his own children died. He could not hide from God. He could not escape God's notice. Again, he wrote in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God is always alert to the provision he will provide to each of us. It's never late or not enough, but it's always just in time and sufficient. It is ever-present. We read in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is always providing for us, every day and unto all eternity. He keeps us through the best and worst of our days and everything in between. When we recognize it and when we don't, when we remember and when we forget, through the ordinary days and the extraordinary days, we can rest and work in the knowledge of his constant, sufficient provision. Charles Spurgeon, you heard him mention earlier in the service, a 19th century Baptist preacher, he reflected on the Christian's need for a daily portion of God's grace. And he composed a devotion based upon 2 Kings 25, verse 30, which reads, and his allowance was a continual allowance given him of the king, a daily rate for every day, all the days of his life. This is what Spurgeon wrote. Jehoiakim was not sent away from the king's palace with a store to last him for months, but his provision was given him as a daily pension. Herein, he well pictures the happy position of all the Lord's people. A daily portion is all that a man really wants. You do not need tomorrow's supplies. That day has not yet dawned, and its wants are as yet unborn. The thirst which we may suffer in the month of June does not need to be quenched in February, for we do not feel it yet. If we have enough for each day as the days arrive, we shall never know want. Sufficient for the day is all that we can enjoy. We cannot eat or drink or wear more than the day's supply of food and raiment. The surplus gives us the care of storing it and the anxiety of watching against the thief. One staff aids a traveler, but a bundle of staves is a heavy burden. Enough is not only as good as a feast, but is all that the various glutton can truly enjoy. This is all that we should expect. A craving for more than this is ungrateful. When our Father does not give us more, we should be content with his daily allowance. Jehoiakim's case is ours. 
We have a sure portion, a portion given us of the king, a gracious portion, and a perpetual portion. Here is surely ground for thankfulness. Beloved Christian, in matters of grace, you need a daily supply. You have no store of strength. Day by day must you seek help from above. It is a very sweet assurance that a daily portion is provided for you in the word, through the ministry, by meditation, in prayer, and waiting upon God, you shall receive renewed strength. In Jesus, all needful things are laid up for you. Then enjoy your continual allowance. Never go hungry while the daily bread of grace is on the table of mercy. God's provision is a daily gift in the life of the believer. Forever is an unfathomably long time for us to imagine. And yet God does not stop caring for his people one single moment of that eternity. He does not stop caring and providing for you, Christian, a single moment between now and forevermore. And Christ's sacrifice for you is once and for always. It's not any less effectual one day versus another. When we truly have repented and believed the goodness and mercy of God that we receive in Jesus, it doesn't expire, it doesn't get exhausted or run out. Friend, is that not enough? Is that not enough? We live daily in an abundance of enough from our good shepherd. Our cup spills over it so full of his provision. How will you respond to that kind of love? To that kind of care? To that kind of goodness and mercy provided to you with certainty every day of your life? Let's pray together. Lord God, you are a truly good shepherd. You chose to sacrifice your very self in order to save your people, we sheep who are under your care. We didn't deserve it. And we're so thankful to you for loving us this way. We praise you and we thank you for being a God who provides goodness and mercy to us all of our days, who follows after us when we start to wander, who never loses us. Help us, we pray, to recognize it, to recognize your goodness and mercy, and to worship you. Do this for our good and for your eternal glory. In Jesus' name.